December 28th, 2022, this morning's class and the classes throughout the week are donated Le'ilui Nishmat Eliyahu ben Miriam Elliot R. Shalmei and in loving memory of Michael Fallis, Moshe ben Rachel by Salman Fallis. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Pezayin Amud Bet. If you count before the lines get wide upward, it's six lines up, the fourth word onto the line. The Gemara's context, as we've explained and discussed in the past few days, but very briefly again, as we're dealing with Zakin Mamre, an individual who's disagreeing with the Betin, and how their case, how their situation would be handled when they disagree with Betin Hagado. Now, fundamental for our sugya, for our discussion over here, is the fact that we had two Beraitot, the first anonymous, and the second, at the very least, the part we're paying attention to in the name of Rabbi Meir. Uh, the first uh, that was anonymous was going through the many pesukim, or, or the several pesukim with regards to zaken mamre in the Torah, and explaining specific and different halachot if the zaken mamre were to dispute, to disagree with betin hagadol. This would be the situation, the circumstance where a person who's doing so would be liable for henek if he goes out and he's he's instructing people to do other than the betin hagadol. The other Beraita, however, recorded the opinion of Rabbi Meir. He seemed to narrow the scope of when we apply this law of Zaken Mamre. His statement was, and he derived it from Pesukim, is that Zaken Mamre is only a situation that will deal with that harsh severity, that will be handled in such a fashion, if it's davar shezidono karet, if you did it purposefully, whatever the disagreement's about, that action, you'd be getting karet, that's a pretty high severity in terms of punishment. If you did it accidentally as well, it's not that you're off the hook, you have a korban hatat. That's where we apply zaken mamre, says Rabbi Meir. Well, how do we square the two? We have a whole long list of cases each of which, some of them are easy to attribute and understand their severity in that respect. The others of which, we have to try to piece it together and understand, could Rebimir, would Rebimir square with that first beraita? That's the task that Rav Papa has set out to do at the behest of his rabbi, as we read earlier in the Gemara. So here's six lines from the bottom. The next on that long list that we're up to, well, if you recall, the Pasuk says, Ben Din Din, and we said that the Din that we're referring to is not only Dine Nefashot, which we explained yesterday, not only Dine Mamon, which we explained yesterday as well, but even dinemakot, that's where we pick up six lines before the lines widen. Dinemakot, what sort of situation might there be a dispute, a disagreement between this zaken mamre, the bedin hagadol, about matters that have to do with giving lashes, and in turn somehow would render a situation of zedono karet, if something's done purposefully, uh, they'd be liable to karet, and shigato hatat. Accidentally, a koban hatat dinemakot says the Gemara. Perhaps the situation says Rav Papa that they could be disagreeing about uh, would be bipluta der bishmael v'rabbanan. And this, as I mentioned yesterday, we're going to do a little bit hazara. This literally, and Eli, I guess it's new for you, but yeah, some others. Uh, it brings us back to Davbet Amudalaf to the first Mishnah in Masechet Sanhedrin, a mahlokotin bishmael and the hachamim. First Mishnah, of course, was talking about the many different qualifications and um, and rules with regards to batedinim. How many? men are necessary to be residing on the Beit Din in order to consider this a kosher Beit Din. Thus we had different amounts for Dine Nefashot, as we said, it's 23. If it's Dine Mamonot, it's three. In the Gemara debates, how much is that a necessity would be to, to be sufficient as well? How many men are necessary, how many Dayanim, I mean, how many uh, judges are necessary in order to deal with the case of Dine Makot? Now keep in mind, Dine Makot is probably going to be 
maybe the most common, maybe dinen mamonot is more common, but dinen makot is going to be dealing with situations in which a person transgressed one of the isurim from the Torah. Torah, generally speaking, aside from the exceptions, are makot. That's going to be a pretty common case. How many men, how many dayanim do you need residing on a betin for dinen makot? Ditnan, our first Mishnah told us, makot bishlosha, according to the hachamim, three. Just like Dine Mamonot, just like a financial dispute and situation, you need three judges, so too Dine Makot. You don't judge it like Nifashot, like a life and death situation, which needs 23. It's more similar, according to the Hachamim, to Mamonot for some reason or another, as we discussed. Mishum Ishmael Amru Esrim Ushlosha. So there's the fundamental disagreement. Bishmael says you need a full fledged. Betin Katan, let's call it, Sanhedrin Katan rather, you need 23 judges in order to deal with any case where you're going to bring forth uh, lashes. That's the Mahlokit that we have. What does that have to do with Davashas well, of course, you have to extend it as we have already. What about the following as Rashi fills it in? According to Rabbi Ishmael's opinion, where you need a betin of 23, but you only had a betin of 3. Uh, so the betin convenes and they get together and they listen to the case and they determine there needs to be lashes. And indeed, they go ahead and they give lashes to this individual based on a betin of 3. Now you have the Rabbi Ishmael theorists. You have the opinions of Rabbi Ishmael who disagree. So all those lashes were inappropriate lashes. Every single time that uh, the, the person in Betin raised his hand and leveled the lash onto that person's back or something in such a situation, that was illegally done. How are we going to treat, according to the Bishmael, the person who did so? How are we going to treat the Betin in such a circumstance like any other situation? If I wrongfully strike you, if another person wrongfully strikes another, they have to pay money. They have to, they have to pay back based on financial charges. Well, that's the case as a result. If the Betin of three, according to the Bishmael, which is not a kosher Betin for Malkot, does the Malkot, they now need to pay. All right, so they pay up, or, you know, that's, that's the case. Now, did they rightfully pay or not? Or better yet, if the person went, as we discussed yesterday, and was tofes. He goes and bed in, he says, I know you owe me this money, grabs the money. Did he rightfully grab the money or not? All right, still not zadon karet. But then he uses that money to be mekadesh a woman, to uh, betroth a woman, to get engaged to a woman. Now that money that he, with which he engages the woman, if it's what's called gezel, if it's not his money, if it's someone else's money, the Mishnah, the Gemara, and Masechet Kiddushin, and Daf Nun Bet says it's not good Kiddushin. That's really what we're talking about. We're talking about was this money potentially as an outgrowth of the money that he got because of the charges that were leveled against Betin, because it was only done based on Betin of Shiloshah, is it kosher money, is it his money, or is it not? And in turn, it have all sorts of ramifications, it can make up all sorts of situations where he's either engaged or not engaged to a woman based on his activity or her activity, better yet, afterwards, will be dealing with matters which are of the level of Eshetish of Zedono Karet. All right, that's the case of Dinem Makot, where you find Zadon Karet. So, continues the Gemara. We had in the Pasuk, Benega Lenega. The Pasuk said between a, uh, a blemish, between a plague of some sort and another. And whenever we talk about it in the Torah, the word Nega, we're really referring to the primary, the, found, the uh, what's it called? The paradigmatic of Nega. What's that? That's Sarat. So when the Pasuk says they have a dispute, the Zaken Mamre and the Betin, it means something having to do with Sarat. And the Hachamim, the Biraita, said not any Sarat, but uh, not any specific Sarat, but pretty much any, uh, all across the board. Ben Nige Adam, Ben Nige Batim, Nige Begadim. 
whether it's sarat, which sprout, uh, sprouted on the, on the skin of a person, whether it was on the walls of a home, or even if it was on clothing. Now we're going to have to go through each one of these cases and say, well, if a zakin mamre is established in such a circumstance, under those situations of a nega, they disputed something, A, what sort of dispute are we dealing with? And B, in turn, how do you apply that to Zadon Karet, what sort of action based on Sarat could we now imagine and conjure up in our minds would bring forth Karet, bring forth getting cut off from, from heaven, losing Olam Haba, as Haram Bam describes it. We discussed in Perik Helik, uh, perhaps what uh, Karet uh, touches upon. Nige Adam, let's start with Nige Adam. Under what circumstances, what halachot might they disagree when it comes to Sarat, which sprouted on a person, again, some sort of dispute, which will translate into a severe punishment, uh, potentially. Biplukta in the Mahloket Rabbi Yoshua Rabbanan that was staged between Rabbi Yoshua and the Hachamim. Uh, says the Gemara Ditnan, after all the Mishnah teaches, Im baheret kadam lesear halavan tameh, im sear lavan kadam lebaheret tahor. Skipping some of the details, the basic details necessary for us over here with regards to Sarat, is there are two terms that we see mentioned over here. One is baheret, and the other one is se'ar. Baheret has to do with the discoloration of the skin. Discoloration of the skin, it turned white. That's not, the, it's not something that's grown in the skin. It needs to be an initial sighting, according to the Torah, and with regards to sarat, that the skin turned white whiter than it is, okay? And then after that, after the Kohen deals with setting this person aside, moving them, removing them from the exit of their house and so forth, now there's sprouting of white hairs from it. All right, so let's read that again. If the staining of the discoloration of the skin happened first and then after uh, there's a sprouting of a white hair, such a person is decided. That's not just discoloration. It's not some skin disease uh, out there. It's rather a specific one. It's called sarat. We need to, t- 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 we need to treat this as This is derived from Pesu. But on the flip side, if what if the hair preceded white hair? I'm not used to white hairs over here on my arm, on my leg, or whatever. There's a white hair. I noticed it. There's several white hairs, whatever the situation is. But the Kohen comes and he checks it out as he's supposed to. There's no discoloration of the skin. All right, we look into it a little bit further, and now there's discoloration of the skin. But the, the white hair preceded the discoloration, the whiteness of the skin. Tahor, in such a circumstance, based on our reading and understanding Pesukim in the Torah, that's not Sarat. Okay, go to a dermatologist and deal with it accordingly, but it's not Sarat. What if Safik, what if you're uncertain whether uh, the, the skin turned white first, got discolored first, or the hair, white hair, came in first? That's a major difference over here. I'm going to treat this as, what's that? What the white have to do with the skin? Discoloration of the skin, that's what the word Baheret means. No, no, no. Baheret is not sarat. Baheret is the beginning of sarat. If you have discoloration of skin followed by white hair, that's sarat. Yeah. So uh, what if it's a safik? You're uncertain which one, which one came first. You need two, two factors, Charlie. You need both the baheret and the se'ar lavan. It needs to go in that order. First baheret and then se'ar lavan. For one reason or another, you're uncertain about what the order was with regards to these growths. There's a major difference. First opinion over here is tameh. Hachamim say you're tameh. Rabbi Yoshua omer keha. Rabbi Yoshua says keha. How do they translate the word keha? Probably means uh, dimming it. What? 
Faint. That's right. Dimming of, of light. It's faint. What does that mean? It's faint. Says Gemara, what, what, what does keha mean? My keha. Uh, that, that, faint not as in fainting and, and passing out. Faint in terms of coloration. Uh, keha, generally speaking, means a lighter color. Amarava keha tahor. What he meant, oh, he's speaking poetically of so, in some way, for one reason or another, Rabbi Yoshua says keha to say that it's just like a faint or a, 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 a dimmed color which is tahor, if it's not the full discoloration, if it changed color and it's not the full discoloration, it's tahor. Also fundamentally then it means it's a mahloka between Biyoshua and Chachamim in a situation of safik, I'm uncertain whether the baherit kadam la se'ar lavan or se'ar lavan came before the baherit, what's the status? That's it, chalas. That's the mahloka between perhaps zakin mamre and betin hagadol. What are you talking about? That's just talking about whether the guy is misora or not. It makes sense, but where'd you come up with karet from this? That's beautiful. Not, not so beautiful, but I understand now you've very clearly put it together for me, Gemara, what the machlok is. Where'd you come up with karet? If he enters into the Mikdash, explains Rashi. If he enters into the Mikdash, a person who's Tameh is not allowed to enter the Mikdash. If they go and do so anyway, the Torah says, you get cut off, you get karet. That's it. So there's a mahloket over here. If the Zakin Mamre, for example, is reporting that the Safik is Tahor, and the Betin Hagadol is saying the Safik is Tameh, and he listens to the, the Zakin Mamre and goes into the Mikdash, it's Zedono Karet. There you have it. We now establish the next case on our list. Nige Adam would be this type of situation where if with entrance subsequently into the Mikdash, you're really dealing with something with the severity of karet. Nige batim. Next on our list, we said benega. La nega is a reference not only to nige Adam, but even if there's a growth on the walls of a home, biplukta, this might be uh, the, uh, along the lines of the mahloket between Dirbil Azab, Rabbi Shimon, Virabbanan's mahlok between Rabbi Azab, Rabbi Shimon, with regards to, again, the growth on the stones of the home, how much needs to be grown. Now, the Pesukim mentioned in plural Avanim, so we know there needs to be some sort of growth on two stones, and it mentions that the nega was seen on the avanim. And generally speaking, the shi'ur, the measurement that we're talking about with regards to sarat, is the shi'ur of gris. Gris, some people are familiar from the halachot of nida, it's a particular size. Okay, so that's the size of how much you need to see of this growth of sarat on the wall. Uh, additionally, it needs to be grown on two separate stones. Okay, that much we can establish explicitly from the Torah. What's the mahloket, or at the very least our understanding of the Torah? What's the mahloket in turn between the Bili Ezeb, Bishimon, and Chachamim? Ditnan, as the Mishnah uh, teaches, Rabbi Eliezer ben Bishimon Omer le'olam en habayi tameh ad. It's only and specifically tameh the house. It needs to be treated accordingly as the Torah uh, prescribes, unless and only under the following circumstances. She'yera'e kishne grisin al shete avanim bishte ketalim bekeren zavit orko kishne grisin verohbo kigris. It needs to be that, yes, as I mentioned earlier, and he's agreeing to the Chachamim, he's just further narrowing the situation. Whereas they claimed it needs to be on two separate stones, each agrees. And that much I understood. That's the measurements. So the Torah said, 
and more than that. It needs to be adjacent one to the other, not a stone over there and a stone across the wall. Not so. Rather, and again, I guess we don't really think of stones and walls in the same way, maybe outside, but internally, even in Israel, until today, you'll have, downstairs, we have like the Israel bricks, you'll have something. Till today, now it's, uh, it was for some period, you put bricks inside the home or bricks inside the apartment. So that's the type of situation you have to kind of imagine. But according to the Shimon, the two are in the corner. That's a Keren Zavit. It means that it's two which are touching one another. Technically speaking, they're parts of two separate walls, but to a certain extent, they're together. And the extension of this grease is that in length, it goes across two greasim, because there's one grease, that's a measurement on one stone, and then the other grease on the other one, and then in terms of uh, you know uh, width on each wall, so it's a grease up. So you have a grease by a grease, a measurement, imagine it's a couple of inches or whatever on each of these, and they're touching one another in the corner. So on the one hand, you know, it's our, 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 our lovely uh, paradise, on the one hand, they're one uh, nega because they're kind of connected one to the other. On the other hand, they're two separate because they're not really a part of even the same wall. Not only are they not the same stone, they're not the same wall. They're two separate walls. They're just touching one another in what's called Keren Zavit, the corner. As it says, says the Gemara again, unlike the Hachamim who are a little bit more stringent on this, establishing the house as a bait uh, menuga, even if it's not so, and habait tameh, by the way, we haven't done this much, but now says the Gemara, what's the reasoning? Why would he establish it as such and only as such under those circumstances? Ketib, on the one hand, the Pasuk with regards to Sarat, the Nigeah Bay, it says Kir, it says the wall, Uktib. On the other hand, the Pasuk says Kirot. Which one is it? Does it need to be on the same wall? Or could it be on, or is it, must it be on two walls? How would you, it's good for the uh, riddle of the week and the riddle, how do you have a wall which is really two walls? It's one wall which is really two walls. As says it must be On the one hand, they're connected, it's almost as if it's one wall. On the other hand, they're two separate walls, one, uh, you know, by the width and the other by the length. Okay, so that being the case, we again now say, if a person entered into that home and contracted potential uh, sarat, well, what's the status of such an individual? According to the hachamim, if it's not in the keren zavit, even if it's not in the corner, it's a bayit minugan, as a result, a person who can contract a tumah from that. And if they, in turn, went into the beta mikdash b'mezid, Karet, according to Bili Ezer, Bili Shimon, under those circumstances, it wouldn't be Karet. If the Zakin Mamre is disputing, disagreeing, and instructing against Betina Gadol on this law, he's established as a Zakin Mamre. Next, what about Nig'eh Batim? So he said, Benega Lanega is a reference to Nig'eh Adam, Nig'eh Batim, and Nig'eh Begadim, other laws with regards to clothing. If the clothing sprouts what seems like Sara'at on it, what sort of mahlokat do you have over there that you can establish and apply to our context? Biplukta derbi ben avtulmos verabbanan. What's this mahlokat? Ditanya, as the Beraita teaches, Rabbi ben avtulmos omer minayim lepriha bebigadim shehi tehora. How do you know that if the following happens? Initially, there's seen a growth, a sprouting on the clothing. And then he's Kiroha Kohen, the Kohen is Mahlit, the Kohen separates that clothing. I keep it away from public eye, don't, don't. And then they open up again, they check it several days later. 
And now checking that garment several days later, now you see the whole garment, that's called piriha, uh, it, it blossomed. Not, not in the positive sense per se, but it has a positive to it. It's now all white, it's now all mesora. What happened over here? So the, the knee-jerk response would be, oh, of course that's sarat. The Torah, in the context of, of clothing, says the, excuse me, of houses, says the opposite. Torah, in the context of houses, says if all of a sudden it starts spreading everywhere, that's not sarat. That's something else. You want to get treatment, Robbie will help you with that. You want treatment for your home, power wash of some sort. I don't know, whatever. I'm sorry, I'm giving you, giving you business, I think. Uh, but, uh, but it's not sarat. It's only if it stayed confined to that area. So the halakha that we're extending, although the Torah says explicitly by homes, the Torah that we're extending is even by clothing, according to the Biben Avtulmos. And that's the mahlokit. By clothing, do we have an identical law that when it spreads throughout, it's in turn going to be considered not sarat any longer? Or when it spreads on clothing, just like you have by homes, it's now considered not sarat. Is that a sign of this being something other than sarat? That's the mahluk. And how do they get to that in terms of technicalities? We'll deal with in a second. How does that affect us with regards to our matters? So quite simple again. If you brought that clothing into the mikdash, if a person wore that clothing, touched that clothing, it's this growth. It's this growth of stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, there's a few more details to it, but pretty much a growth on the clothing that needs to be checked and determined based on its hue, what it looks like, whatever. But again, the question over here is how much is it spread is significant as well. Uh, okay, and then by extension, the entrance into the mikdash will establish for us a situation of zidono karet. So here it is again, minayin. How do you know? According to the B, ben avtulmos, lipriha, if it then blossoms. Again, I guess it's somewhat positive. Your clothing is looking pretty ugly and dirty. But on the other hand, it's now, according to the Biben Avtulmos, not going to be Tameh any longer, Shehit Tehora, that it now establishes itself as being pure, not having the problem of Sarat Ne'emra. On the one hand, the Torah says these words, Karahat ve'gabahat be'adam. It uses those words which have to do with specific parts of the head of a person and how you're measuring uh, if there's a symmetry between the growth on one part of the head and the other part of the head. That's what those words mean by human being in the context of sarat, not uh, specifics for our purposes, not significant. And you have the identical wording when it comes to clothing, meaning something altogether different, having to do with old and new clothing. This is Rashi's commentary on the Torah. Irrespective of that, it's not a full-fledged gezerah shavai, it appears, but it is a symmetry in the words. On one hand, the Torah uses those words, karahat unique words by sarat by houses it uses the same words by sarat to teach you says Rabbi Ben Avtulmos the same way the Torah explicitly the same way when it comes to a home the Torah explicitly tells you if the sarat if the nega spreads throughout blossoms throughout the home tahor we establish the home as being tahor afkan so too by the clothing parah bekulo is tahor that's what we have so that's the mahluk between Rabbi Ben Avtulmos Upon whom, uh, about whom the Chachamim disagree, they don't have the same derasha. Next, in our uh, derashot, uh, in order to establish and to determine that Rabbi Meir can agree with all those long cases that we have in the Biraita, which came back uh, somewhat to haunt us, we're going to spend a lot of time on this, on the Pezayin Amudalaf at the top. And we, well, if you remember, we're, we're nearing the end of it, but we still have some more cases, some new and interesting situations to encounter. Uh, the Pasuk said, Divre. 
words of, and the derasha of the hachamim, the words of is a reference to elu ha'arachin, ha'aramin, ve'hekteshot. It's matters which are dependent specifically upon your mouth, divre. For example, arachin, we have an entire masechet that's called masechet arachin. Erech, the Torah has a whole passage with regards to this. A person says, the value of that is upon me. They need to pay that value to the mikdash. If they say, my value is upon me, we have a specific determination of your value as being sold in the marketplace, you pay that amount to the mikdash. You're accepting upon yourself verbally financial debt uh, with regards to a value. Why would a person do something like this? Maybe for teshubah, maybe for a nice way of associating my appreciation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as much as I love that person and myself. Now the Torah has a long list of ages or has a list of ages. If it's this age, you have to give this amount to the Mikdash. That age, you have to give this amount. It gives us a standardized measurement for how much money each one of again, ancient money each one of these peoples are valued at. The Torah begins at a child which is 30 days old, which is a month old. What if the parent or anyone else looks at the child and says, the erech, the value of this child, eight days old, the milah, uh, 15 days old, almost up to a month, whatever the case is, says the erech of this child, but they're not 30 days yet. So the Torah didn't mention anything below the, uh, the age of 30 days. What would the halacha be in that circumstance? That's going to be our dispute with regards to arachin. But we have several others we're going to deal with as well. We'll deal with them as we get to haramim and hekteshot. First and foremost, ha'arachin, when we're dealing with the valuation, again, which is paid to what's called bedek, based on your statement, Biplukta, perhaps the Zakin Mamre situation would be in a situation where he has a dispute similar to that of did it be Meir Verabbanan Ditnan, Hamma'arich, a person who says Erech, Erech means the valuation. Pahot mi ben chodesh, of a child who's, le- who's younger than 30 days. The Torah, again, begins its valuation system only at 30 days. What's the halakha? Rabbi Meir Omer, noten damav. Rabbi Meir says, oh, okay, the Torah didn't give you a measurement, but you, we, now determine what's the value. How much would, in the slave market, a person buy this child for? Hard to do today, but that's the halakha. You have to determine such a thing, and that's how much he pays. Hachamim say, no, lo amav kelum. Hamim said the Torah starts at the age of 30 days. The Mahloket, as the Gemara, as Rashi cites to us over there, Masechet Arachin and Dafhe, if I'm not mistaken, explains, it goes like this. Would a person, do we assume a person is motzi devarav lebatala? Would a person just say something silly? Or when the person says something, they don't say something if they have no meaning to it. In other words, according to the Bimeir, we listen to this person's words. You said what? Under the age of 30, we assume you know the Torah. Under the age of 30 days, you know there is no valuation. Why do you say those words? You must have had some sort of meaning. You meant that you want a new valuation. You want to be very clever about this. I want to apply it to modern day. Torah only talks about 30 days. I want to apply it to even under 30 days. Whereas Chachamim said, oh, the guy's playing around. The guy wants to find the loophole of something. I'm making up this logic. Loophole. I found a case where I could use those words and guess what? I don't need to pay anything. That's the riddle of the week again. Right? You have a situation. Why'd you say below the age of 30. Why didn't you point to that child? The reason you did so is you didn't want it to have any valuation. You wanted to get away with saying something and having no responsibility. That's the Hachamim's opinion on this. Okay, well, that all being the case, so the person says, Erech, this child, Alai, the child is below the age of 30 days. According to the Hachamim, the money that you're now paying to the Mikdash is a significant money. 
according to the hachamim, that money is, uh, is, is worthless. Now, what in turn is the halacha that is applicable to davar shezidono karet veshigigato hatat? Well, says, the, uh, says uh, Rashi, it goes like this. Is that money now, did that money now achieve the status of hektesh? Is the money now that you separated and are bringing to the mikdash have the status of hektesh? Is it sanctified? According to the Bimir, absolutely. That's the valuation which is upon you. According to the Hachamim, not so. In turn, quoting from the Gemara, the Mishnah, excuse me, Masechit Kiddushin and Dafnun Bet, Amud Bet, if a person accidentally now if a person accidentally now uses that money to be Mikadesh, a woman, of course, uses that money, I don't know why a person would do so. The guy's having a good time, and he's, he says, Erech, that child, Allah, he takes that money, and he says, Mikadesh, he hands her that money. What's the status of that Kiddushin? Did we establish an Esheti situation or not? Well, it's dependent. According to Bimeir, it's Hekdesh. If you did a Bishogeg, it's not going to be a good Kiddushin. Not money. It's not your money. If it's hekdesh, it's not your money. If you did it bishoy, now the, the Mishnah does very clearly say if you did it bimezid, if you did it purposefully. I know this is hekdesh, and anyway, I'm being mekadesh uh, the woman with it. Such a situation, we assume you were purposefully taking that money out of hekdesh illegally, so but using it in order to be mekadesh. If you did it accidentally, we assume your mindset is I'm not using money that's not mine in order to be mekadesh, and the kiddushin are not how that's the type of situation you'd have. Alternatively, Rashi has a different interpretation. Rashi says. So it goes like this, and it's necessary that we should mention it already now because it'll come into play in the next few cases in the Gemara. What about if the person uh, separates this money? It doesn't go to be Mekadesh a woman, but separates this money. Again, I say, strangely, the value of my child or a child below the age of 30 days, alai. And then I evaluate him. I find out he's worth X amount if he were to be sold as a slave. I separate that money. According to Bimeir, that money is hektesh. According to Hachamim, that money is hulin. There's no problem with that money. I now use that money. Bimezid. Whatever I do it for. Forget about Kiddushin. I use it Bimezid. In such a circumstance, you have to bring what's called a korban asham me'ilot. I use that money. I shouldn't have been using that money. It wasn't Mekadesh a woman, but I use that money for some other purpose. Asham me'ilot. You need to bring with that a korban asham. So in turn, I use that money. Oh my goodness, I use that. You remind me. My wife says, isn't that the money you value? So put aside for a Jawa. Oh, I forgot it was that money. Asham, korban Asham. All right, that's significant stuff. I'd separate the Korban Asham, and then, mistakenly, I use that Korban, that animal, uh, inappropriately. I use that animal for my own amnehene. I get my own benefit from that. It's a little far-fetched, but that's the case, according to second version here in Rashim. Now, by using an Asham, a Korban Asham, I'm liable to karet. Was this a Korban Hashem or not? According to the Bimeir, it was. According to the Hachamim, it was not. We again arrived at a situation of Zadon Karet in a circumstance of a Mahloket with regards to Arachin. <sighs> Next case, says the Gemara. Uh, Haramim. This one has to do with... You're right, you're right. This one has to do with Arachin. We need to plug it into a case of Arachin where you're going to have a Zadon Karet. Well, the Torah gives that measurement, but yes, that's how we internal value. Minimum values? 
I suppose you could. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, I know you're playing the market a little bit. I speak to Jared about that or something like that. But, you know, I, I suppose you could. The Torah is talking about a situation where you say the erech of this. It would be hard to determine that. It's really what's called the davash of ba'ala If you're dealing with something off in the future, it's dependent upon, if, if it's dependent upon a potential occurrence, not so easy. In other words, for example, this comes up in the Gemara in several places. If I sell you the tree, but not the tree, I sell you the fruits, but there are no fruits on the tree. And you pay me the money, was that a good sale or not? There's potential for the fruits. The fruits probably are good. The fruits end up coming. Was that money mine? That sort of stuff. That's what's called davash of ba'ala What's that? Very, very much in line with that. The thing with selling a ketubah is we evaluate the ketubah based on its current value because we determine, this is what the Gemara, how much it might be. Yeah, but I'm selling you the document now. I'm selling you the shi'bud, which is in it. That's existent. I don't know what it's going to be worth. We're evaluating it now. I'm not buying it from the woman and saying, I'm paying you the full, I mean, it would be silly for me to pay the full amount because that's a, you know, but, but you could buy it for that risk over there. That's, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, because I'm buying it for the fruits on it. I'm not buying it for the potential of fruits in the future. I'm buying it for the fruts of the trees. If, if I, you're right. If I structure it differently, it could be okay. But if it's a davash alam in the strictest sense, I'm buying the fruits, but there are no fruits. If I'm buying it for the potential of fruits, I'm willing to pay you for that. And you could do something like that. It's, you know, has linguistic significance, but in turn, you know, halachic uh, legal ramifications. All right, next, haramim. So we add on that list also haramim. Harem, you know, we say haram or something like that, but harem is a reference with regards to, it's never fully determined because different types of haramim, something that's set aside. Set aside. Under what circumstances something set aside? First thing you should think about is kodesh. Kodesh is like haramim. Uh, uh, we mentioned as part of our Kalmudre, we're talking about Haramim. Today's day and age, to the best of my knowledge, nobody's really doing uh, Haramim. I don't know if anyone's doing any of those. So we're certainly not doing Haramim. But that's what Haramim is a reference to. It's when I'm verbally setting something. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> haramim, I thought, I'm, I, thought, I thought it was, you know, your blood levels getting so worked up from all this. That's, you know, your Fitbit or something. Haramim, it's mahloket with regards to this in some way or fashion between the Biudab ben Betera and the Chachamim household. Ditnan, Biudab ben Betera, Omer, Setam Haramim. What if you don't designate, you say this is Herem, but you don't say who it's Herem for? Where's that going? Who gets that money? This, the value of this is Herem. I said, that is Herem for who? Pointing to the Pasuk, which seems to say, Call Herem. All Herem. Kodesh Kadashim, Huladonai. Goes to God. Okay, so the value of that, that you're designating, is goes to the Mikdash. Hachamim omim natso. Setam haramim la Kohen. It goes instead to the Kohen. In the context of Yovel, Pasuk talks about Herem going to the Kohen. So which one is it? First, let's finish the Beraita and understand the significance of the Mishnah and understand the significance to us. According to Rabbi Hachamim, who interpret that Herem goes to the Kohen, why did that first Pasuk, which was quoted by the Hachamim, say that it goes to God? 
uh, that even when, in a strange and difficult to understand situation, I sa- sanctified an item. I said, this animal is going to be a korban olah. It's called Kodesh Kodashim. I sanctified this animal. I said, it's going to be a korban shalamim. It's called a Kadashim Kalim. Irrespective of what I said, I made this animal Kodesh. And then I say about this animal, oh, this animal? Herem. In that situation, I can double valuate it. The item needs to go to the Mikdash, and then I'm accepting as well. I'm feeling so spiritual and so connected to this animal, my connection to God, the value of this animal as well. Kol Hayrim, even that goes la Hashem, I have to pay the value. So I bring the animal and the value of the animal to the Mikdash. Okay, that'll be in the case. We have a machlok in here. If a person just says, This is Hayrim, who does he pay that money to? And in turn, you understand we have all sorts of ramifications. If the money is really to the Mikdash, but I give it to the Kohen, and it means the Kohen is using money, which is Kodesh. It means that we're dealing with liability with regards to using money. And in turn, the Kohen says, oh my goodness, I need to take a Korban Hashem for this. Or alternatively, I'm supposed to do it another way and it gets used in the wrong way. Irrespective of how it got played out, because you're t- picking one of these two opinions, you're now dealing with the Korban Hashem and the Korban Hashem, as we mentioned earlier, if you did Me'ilan, the Korban Hashem, you're liable to Karet for so doing. If you use the Korban Hashem wrongfully, you're liable to Karet. It means you got into a sticky and dangerous situation anytime you're dealing with a dispute with regards to matters of Kodesh to the extent that it's Zidono Karet. We have one last on this list. We'll start with it tomorrow. We did then, with regards to this list of Divre, we did Arachim, we did Haramim. We have to deal with the Mahlokim by Hekdeshot and then march forward to filling out this this Beraita, all these cases, and lining them up with the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.